from 11FS, I'm David Breer, and this is Fintech Insider News. Today, we bring you How Do You Like Them Apples? Apple launches the Apple Card. Monzo and Oak North team up for offering savings accounts, and Erica's a hit in America. That was harder to say than I thought it was going to be. All this on much, much more on today's show. Welcome to episode 309 of Fintech Insider. We're coming to you live from the 11FS office in Devonshire Square, London. My name is David Breer, and I'm joined by my colleague and co-host, Lida Glyptus. How is it going, Lida? It's been a good day today, David. A very good day. Anything interesting happening today? So today, um, obviously, we're recording this on a Thursday. Uh, Cities Digimoney event uh, was live today. Foundry is a big part of the future of banking. New, new bank report. We're very, very excited about that. Um, and we might have some more Foundry news to share with you in the next few days, but I can't say anything today. Foreshadowing, foreshadowing, foreshadowing. I've had a really fun day today. I um, went and did a keynote at the London Stock Exchange, which was super, super interesting. And we launched a new show. So if you guys want to go and check out 11FS home screen, uh, go do that now. Uh, you can find that on my Twitter or you can find it promoted over on at 11FS. As always, we're not alone today. We're joined by some awesome, awesome guests. So making her debut, we have Connie Dordenstein. Is that, Absolutely. Is that yes. pretty good? Or yes, is that pretty good. Pretty okay. good. It's time for everything, I mean, David. I mean, I'll go with that. That's, that's as good as it's going to get, I'm afraid. So you are the founding partner over at Bankify, as well as a board member over at Holland Fintech. How's yes. it going? Absolutely. Absolutely. Great day. Great day today. I'm always delighted to be in London. It's my second hometown. It's the first town in my heart. My son was born here and I had an even greater day because I met Leda at the city event. And as Leda was lecturing them about, you know, the future of banking and how you have to break up the core and do it differently, I had the wonderful opportunity to do the same and tell the banks, don't give your business banking business away, become the platform. Very, very good. Well, it sounds like a good day all round then. And it's sunny in London as well. So we're all pretty happy. Um, making his fifth new show appearance, Ryan Edwards Pritchard, MD of Funding Options. How's it going, Ryan? Good. Very good. Awesome to be here. Awesome to be back. You've managed to dig me out of it's end of month, end of quarter. So I've been stuck in OKR planning sessions literally for the last, what feels like the last months. And you were off somewhere fancy after this, I hear. <laughs> and yet, and yet, not wearing your black tie, heartbroken. I didn't want to be that guy turning up to here I in a black totally tie. I totally want you to be that guy. Anyway, it's it, it's uh, so the Business Money Facts Awards. So we're up for uh, one of the awards, I think, in innovation. I'm saying that. I really know which award it is. Very nice. Well, it wouldn't be the only time you've been wandering around near the 11 of Fest Towers wearing a suit, right? <laughs> <laughs> so Ian is my alter ego indeed. Very good. All right, let's get on with the news. So first up, we have a story, I think probably the main story this week slash this quarter, uh, Apple Card. So over on apple.com, they're introducing the Apple Card, a new kind of credit card created by Apple. Um, Apple announced the launch of the credit card created by Apple designed to help customers lead a healthier financial life. Uh, Apple Card is built into Apple Wallet and a bunch of other things called Apple something. Um, and they are really going about I think creating quite an interesting service here. So the integrations with Apple Cash, the uh, ties in with what they're doing with Apple Pay. Um, and from my perspective, with all of the um, opportunities that this brings for Goldman Sachs coming into this market and doing something really interesting, this feels like a really big step here. What do you guys think? Is this is this the apocalypse that banks have been expecting or is this something uh, on that road? No, I think it's Apple doing what it does best is, 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 you know, taking usual stuff, giving it a twist and making it absolutely seriously cool. 
And, um, you know, a lot of people are commenting on it like, oh, well, it's the usual rails, it's the usual thing. It's very easy to say that. And of course, they have extremely deep pockets. Um, but I think this is only version one. As we know from Apple, they will make it cooler every time. And I think what they will really excel in is giving it an excellent user experience across all of their devices, because that's where really their strength lies. And in all fairness, I had one point of criticism when I read it and I you know, had an exchange with Sil Barisis, who really knows his stuff. He is an analyst at Salent. And I said, what I found sort of disappointing is that in this new open era, that there wasn't an awful lot of transparency about the fee structure. Mm. And they say, oh, well, it goes up and down. It depends on your behavior, which to me sounds very old bank. And then just to say there are no fees, that means to me, I've got to pay in another way. Mm. So either you're selling my data or using my data, which they say they're not, maybe not on a one-to-one basis. Um, and the fee structure around, you know, look, how, how high is this, the percentage you know, that is the classic, um, obtrusive American sort of payment structure and fee structure, mm. which that's the only thing I did not like. Just one more point though, what I really thought, mm, they might not use my data, like what did Connie buy in that shop and what can we offer her next? But of course they get a, a massive amount of metadata that will give them extremely good insights and events. And that made me think of the Disney deal that was recently mm. announced, like an old company going into the new world. And Disney said the prime driver for us is really through watching the viewer's behavior, we can figure out what they really like. And yeah. we're not, no longer going to make movies that suck. You know, <laughs> we're going to make movies that are all great and are a winner. And uh, so, uh, for some reason, I thought maybe that's one of the reasons why Marcus and... Apple are in this as well. I yeah, don't know what, a, a, what you think. I think it's a really interesting one. I think they, they very specifically picked the words about, uh, you know, usage of data, third parties, you know, third parties won't use your data, but we might, you know, and there's a lot of interesting I think things. the implication was very clear. We will not sell your data, but we will obviously use it the same way we always use your data in a way that makes you feel like you've gained something and therefore you consent and enrich it. Um, and the consent piece is, is the clincher there. We all actively encourage Apple to use our data because we invariably yeah. find that whatever we get back from it is marginally useful. Um, or if not all, then, then in numbers large enough to, to amount to the same thing. I don't personally expect this to be a moneymaker for them. I think it's a statement. I think it's a, it's a positioning play. I don't even think that the the data itself will be a game changer. It's just more about consolidation of, of the position they have. If all of your Apple Pay transactions are now on an Apple card, you're just you're building a slightly more solid foundation. But it's the people who are doing it with that are I, I would expect are yeah. celebrating even more this week. Mm-hmm. Um Goldman and and MasterCard. Again, from a positioning perspective, whether this will yield specific results in a specific time frame, I would expect not, but it makes you so much more secure in a changing landscape. Mm. I, it, so the interesting thing is actually on that one. So the, the cost reductions in terms of the app store itself for Apple and actually how much money could they potentially save there? The other side of things that I found most interesting, I guess, was um, to your point before, 
you know, is this the moment that the banks have been dreading? And I believe so, but it's not just the CMA9. You know, this is challenging the challenges. Mm. I, and, and I think it was one of, the, one of the funniest things I actually saw in Fair Play to actually Revolut this time. Uh, I know that there's questions in terms of their sense of humor at times, which we won't go down. But actually, they uh, they tweeted a picture in terms of their product development roadmap and said, you know, yeah, has has somebody been viewing this? Because actually, <laughs> if you actually look at it, it it's incredibly similar um, in terms of the two. Even that, I mean, the card promotions themselves. So you know, if you strip out the the logos and everything else, you you could you can't really tell the difference <laughs> between the two. I think for me, it's it's also the you know, is this a move uh, you know, in preparation of understanding that the likes of Monzo and Revolut have actually raised, you know, some serious rounds of late, all in the promise of going over to the state. So that's that's one side of things. So challenging the challenges. Um, the second side is actually Apple trying to look at the fact that, you know, they've had slowing down in terms of sales. And I think that's quite well published. And actually, what are the other avenues that they could go down away from hardware into software? Now, do I think they actually necessarily want to uh, and this is a question that always comes up about Amazon. Do I think they want to go and type the money in terms of lending solutions? Not necessarily. Mm. You know, I think they'd rather go innovate and use somebody else's money to go actually lend. Um, but actually finding other ways that they can get access to that data is really important. The only thing that Connie mentioned, which I, I did find quite interesting, they've been so vocal in terms of their stance against uh, Google and Facebook. They're, they're, they're these kind of defenders yeah. of uh, you know the, the consumers and data. So there's a real fine balance that they have to play in terms of actually what they do with people's data otherwise you know it's completely yeah. ironic and can, and I, can I, think, I say on a slightly unpopular opinion probably but that's what i'm here for <laughs> this is gonna be fun go on so mm. like i really don't think this is going to be a, a game changer i think that it might be more of a splash in the u.s market because just less is happening there mm -hmm. um I don't think we'll be talking about it in the next few months. Yeah. Unless something really radical is built on top of it, proposition-wise. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, it's something we've all expected for a while. It came. It only caused a splash because it's Apple. Yeah. So. But uh, but I think their I think their ability to distribute this. So you know we've seen we're definitely seeing great experiences. In fact, actually, leader in our Slack group you know jason was giving us a bit of a blow by blow as this was coming through and he was like oh go on johnny ive tell me <laughs> is, is the uh, is the the statement view on a mobile broken is it oh that's nice johnny brilliant like we're gonna have iconography yeah. are we but but like the you know like you say the the point around the the distribution is when when monzo's got a couple of million customers that's phenomenal like Apple, though, have got 850, 900 million credit cards on, on account globally and a brand that actually people know and love. Like my mum knows who that is. Uh, she doesn't know who Revolut is. Mine um, does. My mum has a Revolut account. Does she? Boom. But yeah, you know, you I mean, I think their, their yeah. ability to partner in this way and scale dramatically, I think. And, and I think it's smart that they have started in the US market because credit cards are used so fundamentally differently. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we, we heard fundamentally differently and loyalty is the key component yeah. for a credit card in the US. So I think that's, that's a good move. And again, you know, they've really made a point like they see that even their hardware can become less favorable. So they want to make a move into the solution space. Well, the only real ticket to know whether people like your solutions is to check whether they actually pay for them. Yeah. So I'm quite sure that they said, you know what? Let's start at the very end of the pipe and see what people pay for. Because it's, for me, it's not a coincidence that it comes out at the same time as they're doing, you know, their TV, uh, whatever. Yeah. Uh, so, so what, what about? And I think the most the winner in all this really are, you know, the payment companies. Well, I was, was going to say because this hype will just again drive up 
you know, the valuations for those top type of companies. I mean, we saw uh, t- nearly two weeks ago, I think it was WorldPay uh, bundled up in a deal and be sold to FIS, to mm. the, you know, the people who bought our former company. And you look at WorldPay and it's like, you know, whatever, 20 years old and it's worth more than ABM Road in the Netherlands. Crazy. And so it, this will drive up, the hype will drive up probably the deal flow and the deal value. Mm. Yeah. I was going to say just a couple of things on your point before. So supposedly we're still led to believe that 45% of the adult population doesn't trust the banks. So there is an obvious point there in terms of whether it's the challenger banks in terms of uh, the Monzos and Starlings or whether it's other players that is in Gaffer to go and step in. The interesting thing, if you actually look at the article, I'm sure as an Apple fan, you'll love this. Uh, so 2% cash back on all spend and 3% on Apple products. Yeah. So again, I mean, we've both got our MacBooks out. We've both got our iPhones out. And again, it's, you know, it's going to be driving the actual future sales. And, and when you're spending a couple of grand, like that's actually worth something. It is. And, and, it, and I think that's a sign of how in, uh, how, uh, important they see this as, as making it success. Cause Apple don't give discounts at all. Mm. So the fact that they're, they're willing to give you 3% on anything in store yep. for me says they're really, but uh, the, the challenge that I, ha- uh, the concern that I have on that is, Yes, they've got an amazing brand. Yes, people kind of love them like I do. I, you know, I'm well and truly deep into the ecosystem on this one. But on, on the basis of that, can they, can their brands be sustained by somebody having £25,000 of credit card debt and being seen it being them who enticed them to do it through buying shiny aluminium things? <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I wonder if that there is a real risk here is, are they going to be held accountable? I know they're not necessarily going to be liable because Goldman Sachs are going to have the, the liability. Um, exactly. But, but are the they point. accountable to encouraging debt? Of course they are, but that's the whole base of American society. <laughs> this you is, buy more than you can afford. Yeah, and there so, is. <laughs> of course that is, that is uh, behind it. And of course they will, you know, hopefully do good things to make sure that people don't do that and they pay back. And I'm not in the least worried that Goldman Sachs is going to give its money away. They will find a way of uh, recouping that. But There's- honey, right there, and I'm going to pretend I had this thought before you said it, is what's unexciting about this. It's a familiar shape with a yeah. shiny logo. It's a familiar set of relationships. There is nothing fresh about it. So it happened. And the reason I guess I'm unexcited is because we know this. It, yeah, it plays into the, all the, the behaviors. Exactly. It's the club. It's a religion and you're part of the cult. Mm-hmm. And then it's cool to have that card. In all fairness, on the total opposite side of the extreme, there are certain banks that I would never want to have there credit card in my wallet just because i would think the logo and the whole brand around it is hideous name them now they would offer the same <laughs> services and i think not dead would i want to be seen with that card well it's interesting isn't it and then it becomes uh, particularly with the credit cards you know exactly. credit, credit it's cards a lifestyle thing exactly and credit credit cards in europe are Who very are much about people? features that you know there's an element of status whether like a black card or a gold card or whatever but most people buy a credit card based on the apr um, whereas in the U- US, it is incredibly status driven. They are the and loyalty, sure, and the and that's why I think loyalty, been, loyalty, loyalty. The, uh, the thing that I kind of found is the minimum, uh, you know, minimum viable product that they've gone with on this yeah. is actually a lot higher bar than usually where Apple entry into yeah. stuff. So the fact that they have debt management, the fact that they've got cash back, the fact that they've got uh, you know uh, transactional capability, you know, there is a lot of things that they've got in this, but. I think to your point, leader, I think if this was being launched in Europe, then actually we probably would be like, well, you know, 
welcome to the pack, basically. Yeah. But is, isn't I that think- because the, the benchmark in the UK and Europe now is, especially if you look, yes. say, across the pond where you got yeah. 26, it is quite a high benchmark. So you're better off in terms of starting off in terms of, you know, crawl, crawl, walk, run, yeah. you know, over yeah. in the States. I don't want to say it, but like, you know, get yourself up to speed, get it to a decent threshold, then actually launch yeah, it over to It's a to massive Europe. market that has not seen anything particularly exciting. So this will be more of a ripple effect yeah. than, than in Europe. And and actually, the Apple Pay as a product has not landed as well. I'm a fan, but it has not landed as well in most geographies. Mm. So play where you have some strength well, and, and no, We and have instant direct debit that's faster than Apple Pay and cheaper. So, you know, why would people use Apple Pay? Sure. Uh, but the, the credit card space needs some disrupting as well. I mean, just one tiny example that usually upsets me. I've had a platinum American Express card for as long as I can remember, not for all the perks, but it's got great insurance if you travel a lot. Yes. I'm sure you guys realize that. So I walk through the airport, they want to give me a new card. We now have a card, you get free lounge X, free sex or everything, and it's 300 euros cheaper. So I said, well, I'll swap it, I'll have it. No, you need to apply for a new card, cancel all the standing orders on your old card. And so then I think, I think what is happening in those companies? Who is devising these ideas? So you onboard a new customer with all the costs for less money and you upset a loyal existing customers of 20 years. You have to then do away with the number. I said, do you really think that you can explain to me that you cannot just change the number on my car or, you know, keep the number and change the conditions? No, we cannot do that. So I think a little bit of disruption in this space is a good thing. Yeah, sure. Your legacy systems pulling Let them it back. Happen. Who know? All right. Well, we could probably literally talk about this one for a couple of more hours. In in fact, this is literally what me and Mr. Jason Bates actually went and did. So uh, we discussed this story over on FinTech Insider on air yesterday. Uh, if you want to go check that out, go and have a look at my Twitter. It's my pinned tweet right now. All right, next up, we have a story that is Oak North and Monzo team up. So over on City AM, Oak North and Monzo team up to launch a savings account. Oak North and Monzo have launched a partnership that allow Monzo users access to a high interest savings account for the first time. The new savings account will essentially give Monzo customers access to Oak North's savings platform, but you'll be able to open up and manage the accounts through the Monzo app. Uh, partnerships will allow Monzo customers to open a range of different savings accounts with rates up to 1.55% at the moment. Um, what do you guys think to this? Like this is two uh, unicorns in the UK sort of teaming up to take on the, the you know, the big incumbents. I'm hearing Disney music. In mm. my oh, yeah, it's like, this thing. is exciting. Mm. This is lovely. I mean, Oak North has been going from strength to strength in terms of size. They're the story right now. Monzo has been going mainstream and I have this little flutter of excitement every time I, I mean, I like a convenience store in Greenwich and a mum of two pulls out her Monzo card. The whole like, coral. Yay! Um, but the, this is, this is going mainstream, right? Because the, the, we've been saying that for a long time, selling to the geeks ain't hard, but for uh, the people who want, don't be offended like, by that geeks. We love you too. <laughs> I was talking about myself. <laughs> like I will, I will totally be a, a, a better user and be excited about the slickness of the experience and and be okay with the fact that it doesn't do all the stuff that my traditional high street bank does. But we are not a representative chunk of society. We do not a business make right. So for the people that need to come to the fold, for these businesses to really become. Um, sticky and sustainable and the main bank account for, for a lot of folks who are not multi-banked, 
this is what it takes. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, for the for the high street user, if if that's a term, who powers the savings account is almost irrelevant. If you look at the second layer of information, actually, you'll get a lot of comfort that Monzo went to people who do this for a living. Mm. Uh, but this is exciting. This is a coming-of-age story and, and, like, totally Disney music. I think the, yeah. the nice thing about this is if you look at it, you know, 1.6 million customers in terms of Monzo, they, they didn't have this service before. So, you know, all of a sudden they're actually introducing uh, you know, a saving solution. Um, so it's actually bringing something to them, which is fantastic. Um, they get in all the benefits. I think the, the point in terms of the addressable market here is that they're not specifically targeting the rate chasers, you know, so, you know, everybody looks at the, you know, those that are looking at the best buy tables, that's not what this is about. You know, this is trying to get mainstream adoption of a solution. So I I think it's fantastic. I think as an entry product, it's brilliant. It's a great, it's a great partnership. But it creates another possibility, right? The average person has a current account and maybe a savings account. This solves for that. And now you could consider this being your main account and end off. Agree. Okay, well, we spoke... for business, yeah. So we spoke to Amir Nouriala, Chief Operating Officer at Oak North, to find out a little bit more from this. Hey, guys. uh, Amir Nouriala here from Oak North. And, yeah, we're we're very excited about this partnership. You know, anyone who's met me or or heard me speak on on the circuit knows that I think the future of fintechs should absolutely be focused around very narrow execution. Um, By that, I mean focusing on what you're very good at, dominating your space... Um, nationally, continentally, and then moving on to globally. And then for everything else that isn't um, a USP, a kind of a unique selling point for you, partner with whoever else is the best in the industry, whoever's the best fintech uh, in that area. So for us at Oak North, um, specifically our bank, Oak North Bank, that means specializing in SME lending and uh, deposits. And this specific um, partnership that we've signed with Monzo is around the deposit side of our business. If you think about deposits as a standalone product, they're a cost. You're, you're paying interest for every pound that you collect, and then you've got the operational cost as well as of, of supporting that um, in terms of the, uh, the reports you have to produce periodically, in terms of how you can provide the um, FSCS insurance for the deposits you've collected, um, etc. And that's why if you look at the landscape, no other fintech is actually really offering um, deposit savings products to their users. We at Oak North, we absolutely love um, deposits. They, they fund our lending, and lending is how we make money. So we've made a conscious decision to open up our deposits to other fintechs, um, to broaden the reach of our products, and, and open up actually new audiences that don't um, come to us through our website. So in terms of Monzo and the partnership there, uh, this gives us access to app-only based users, uh, joint account users, students, low deposit holders, you know, lots of different demographics that we don't target, um, but that naturally, um, you know, get on the Monzo platform and love it. And for Monzo, we give them a new feature they didn't previously have uh, and a revenue stream as well. So I think it's a great partnership on both sides. It's win-win and the users benefit as well. Absolutely. We, we, we absolutely want to continue doing this with any other fintechs that you're interested in. And we are talking to, to a number at the moment. Um, but but it, this is something we want to roll out throughout the year and, and, and going forward as well. So if anyone else wants to, to speak to us on this topic, you know, it's, it's, it's Amir here. Um, reach out to me on LinkedIn and, and let's have a chat. Very, very nice. Thanks for that, Amir. What do you guys think? Well, kudos to them. I think um, the whole um, 
I'm particularly fond of Oak North because I think the whole SME space has been so disastrously underserved and they've always paid for everything. They're stuck between a rock and a hard place. You know, the corporates get their bandwidth. Uh, consumers are being saved by all sorts of bodies. Um, and the SME pays the bill. So I, I'm an extreme fan of Oak North. I think they're doing a great job. And I hope that this is sort of like a setup to viewing this whole space more holistically and not having this difference between retail and SME and, uh, you know, being able to treat, you know, a young guy as a potential entrepreneur and an entrepreneur as a person. And um, I see great opportunities for that blending in in that context. So, uh, and all kudos to them. They have a very low uh, default rate, so they must do something extremely right on the credit scoring as well. Well, I think they've um, they've got some great algorithms and some great people, haven't they? But um, yeah. I, I think, um, you know, Tom's been sort of out there talking about, uh, you know, marketplace banking for quite some time for, for Monzo. And it's great to see them really start putting uh you know putting things in that marketplace now yeah. so uh what do you think Ryan? i was just gonna say I, i'm huge fan of oak north and monzo but i'm also a huge fan of actually democratizing things and bringing it to the masses and especially around financial literacy and actually bringing a what could be a really nice entry-level product to the masses um yeah it's fantastic when you start thinking about uh, the users of uh, a monzo product and if you overlay that in terms of some of the stats that you see coming out from the money advice uh, service uh, where they talk about um so rainy day funds and actually getting people into the habit of actually um pulling together a rainy day fund so you know the stats that are out there is about 40 percent of people 40 percent of adults have actually got something so you know is this a step in terms of nudging uh, you know behavioral economics you know nudging people into that kind of behavior i, I think that's fantastic yeah, yeah so big fan. Now, being a foreigner i have a question because it's not totally clear to me will they use the money that gets into these deposit accounts will that go to oak north to sort of fund their lending portfolio absolutely okay. yeah because I, think I, was, I was i didn't know how the structure of the deal was yeah those guys are gonna love sort of hoovering up those deposits and, and actually to be honest with like the this time of year you know just cut running into uh you know um bonus time for many people in terms of the businesses like opening up a savings account is not the not the worst time to do it um, an interesting point there that um, oak north announced last week that it had tripled its profits in 2018 which is pretty damn impressive and as you say they hadn't had a single default while they did it um, likewise, likewise they've committed to donating one percent of all future net profits to charitable causes so well done to Oak North. Keep up the uh, keep up the good game. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that definitely kind of uh, appeals again to the Gen Z audience that they're trying to attract as well. Yeah. Do good, right? Yeah. All right. Uh, moving on. So this is a story about Venmo over on uh, payments. So Venmo is going after users with negative balances. So Venmo, the digital money transfer company owned by PayPal, is going after consumers who have a negative balances in their accounts. So they're threatening to involve debt collectors to pursue customers with negative balances. Uh, majority of the $62 billion in Venmo's payment activity is derived from money transfers. Uh, for which the company does not charge a fee. Venmo assumes the cost of processing them, though. This is an interesting one, isn't it? This feels like a... Um, is this fintechs sort of growing up and starting to sort of collect on their debt? I don't know. Like, I mean, there's a huge difference between $7 and $3,000. So I, I'm, I, there, there, is, there is an element in terms of actually growing up and actually kind of um, tightening up in terms of the uh, process operational side on the back office. But I'm also there kind of scratching my head kind of 
we're trying to understand what their strategy is and surely they should have a slightly different approach in terms of how they communicate with the customers for different amounts. It, it seems it seems slightly binary and kind of odd that they'd go after it in such a way. Mm. Well, and I, I wonder if, um, you know, PayPal for a while has felt sort of rather corporate, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if this is um, more and more of the sort of corporate world catching up with Venmo. We, we didn't actually mention this earlier on, but the Apple Card piece uh, does directly tie into competitors into the Venmo space, which is obviously a, a very large sort of peer-to-peer play within the um, within the US. So, you know, this is, a, again, maybe this is make the money while they can make the money before people start coming in and being competitive. Yeah, well, I have to admit, when I first read the story, my first uh, um, uh, idea was very European. It was very much like, et alors, hein? like what the French president said when they asked him about his mistress. Uh, so what? Um, I mean, I like debt, I, mistresses. It's all similar, isn't it? it really there is, is a line, but I think it's normal that a company goes out after its debt. That is yeah, yeah. normal. It is. I just totally agree uh, with you that you say I would see that the seven, you know, default, the seven euro or seven pound default would be for me a customer service issue. Yeah. And 3,000 consistently across a longer period of time, yes, you bring, you know, the heavy-handed guys in. Mm. I I would find it very odd if you're a fintech and you're that young and, you know, you do everything you can. And here we're back actually to the mistress. If you seduce with all possible means people to come in and use your service and then the minute they're in, you you start to treat them like old-fashioned customers. I like where she's going with this. My thought was much simpler. I'm having a, a day of simple thoughts and that is... Why is a negative balance technically possible? Yeah. Like at the end exactly. of the day, when you're running a service like Venmo, that's a design flaw. Sure. You should not have a negative balance no. uh, as an option. No. Um, so from, from that point of view, oops, going after negative balances um, once you've acquired them is a little like, bit like banks and aging debt. Right? It's a, it's one of those conversations that go endlessly round and round. In theory, you shouldn't allow it to happen because it encourages others to do it. Mm. But is the cost of recuperation higher, blah, blah, blah. That is old school stuff. Is anyone going in and going, let's tweak the code a little bit because it shouldn't be possible to have a negative balance? The nature of the service does not have a lending capability. Well, then that's, Therefore, that's the thing. either partner with a lending partner yeah. or just make that not possible. Agreed. Make it a direct debit. Well, whatever. Well, if it's an, in, uh, you know, don't make it an interest-free overdraft. Make it a loan, and then actually you're making profit from this thing in terms and you of have what a you do. Product, maybe a very interesting partner yeah. who then has a structure for going after recouping that. So, so for me, the first uh, conversation is not why are they going after those those gaps. It's why are they not fixing their system. But isn't yeah. that also a fraud point as well? Because they're saying that there's a steady increase in terms of fraud that's been reported. So again, it, there's something that seems to be wrong operationally over there right now agreed well and and almost it's a i think they set something up potentially with goodwill of giving people a bit of a buffer in terms of where they're where they're at but you know with goodwill usually finds people to come along and try and exploit it doesn't it so uh, all right let's move on okay on to the next story we have standard charter wins first hk virtual license so this is one we know quite a lot about in, in, in to be fair as well so over on finextra standard charter to build a new virtual bank in hong kong in fintech drive uh, standard charter will head up a new virtual bank in hong kong after being granted a license for the region's regulators the london headquartered bank will lead a joint venture with it firm pccw telecoms company HKT 
and online travel company Ctrip Finance to build a standalone digital retail bank. Now, I should say 11FS has been a little bit involved in this one. So congratulations to Dennis, Samir and Mary for getting to this point and getting the licenses. Um, you've done an amazing amount of work in a very short period of time. So well done, everybody, for getting that one uh, going. <laughs> Were you, you in like? Hong Kong recently? Uh, not recently, but a little bit while ago. Yeah, it was uh, It was great. It's amazing Subtle, to start. Ryan. Yeah. Subtle, Ryan. Sorry. Start, uh, start seeing the... Not that I'm um, stalking your whereabouts, just to be clear. I swear. <laughs> start, start seeing these virtual banking licenses kind of coming to life. Like, I think it's the real beginning with what the changes that HKMA have kind of brought about over there of like a real explosion of fintech in in Hong Kong. And actually with the whole sort of one belt, one road mentality now, actually the opportunity to use uh, Hong Kong, which, you know, in itself is 9 million people, which is great. But as a jumping, uh, you know, a springboard off to 60 million plus people in Shenzhen and then into mainland China and on and on and on and on and on. And Hong Kong having some very particular banking behaviors that are not actually representative of the wider region. It's a, it's an amazing coup for Standard Chartered to be the, at the forefront of seeking to transform those behaviors because this is what it's all about. Mm. The, the way that your, your traditional retail banking in Hong Kong operates is, is quite set in, in its ways and, and to seek to disrupt this is a super story for, for Standard Chartered. And once it's successful, and I have no doubt it will be, um, it's, as you say, David, an amazing footprint for the region. Yeah, um, and, and let's not forget, you know, um, and I, in all fairness, I haven't followed it since we, um, uh, since ClearPay was sold to FIS, but I do remember that because of some specific legislation, it is uh, payments-wise as well for European com- companies, uh, Hong Kong is a very important jumping board in mm. doing trade with China. So yeah. it's a very brilliant move from uh, Standard Chartered to uh, to put to pick it up that way mm. because they have brand awareness in both angles, uh, you know. And it's very hard for you know a pure Western European or American bank to to do that trade. So I think it's very important, you know, banking relationship. And I've always liked Standard Chartered because they have a wonderful, close and warm brand, very deep in sort of the the business uh, societies of uh, wherever they are. So good for them. Very, very good. Okay, let's move on. So we're going to take a little bit of a break now. But before we take a quick break, we just wanted to remind you guys that we launched the Football Fintech League, as if you possibly could not know about this at this stage. The league started on Friday, 22nd of March with a 6-3-11 FC victory over Receipt Bank. Just saying, guys. Um, follow over on at Fintech League to follow all of the action. We'll be back very shortly. And just before we do, a uh, big shout out to Pet, Anthony and Mike, our side, just in terms of actually pulling the league together. Also a big well done to our, to our team, uh, 11-7 against uh, Starling. Monzo tomorrow night, we can't wait. You can follow the league, I believe it's uh, fintechleague.com. Very, very good. All right, well, we'll be back very shortly. This deal sets apart. This economy okay, is... We right. need to get down yeah. to business. Yeah. We need to yeah. Clearly the pressure in the beginning. Business investment. Jobs. The more you hear about Brexit, the less clear it all becomes. When everyone else is shouting. Listen. For the clarity behind the headlines, subscribe to the Financial Times. Visit ft.com. Today, customers are demanding greater value from financial services. They expect more agility, innovation, and security than ever before. 
Most financial institutions are held back by the shackles of closed legacy systems that limit transparency, block innovation, and ignore customers' demands. Finastra has a bold vision to unlock the potential of people and business. They've created a platform for open innovation in the world of financial services with FusionFabric.cloud. Their solutions span retail, transaction lending, and treasury and capital markets on-premise and in the cloud. Start your transformation journey today with Finastra. Welcome back to Fintech Insider from 11FS. We'll be over in New York for Fintech Week from the 1st to the 5th of April. If you're going to be in New York, catch Sam Moore hosting a wonderful Fintech Insider live show with the DIT and very, very special guests from our friends at Starling and TransferWise, to name but a few. The event will be on the 3rd of April at 6.30 in the Altman Building. So just search DIT events to get your ticket now. We're also going to be partnering with the Empire Startups for their seventh annual fintech conference, also in New York on the 3rd of April. Explore the agenda and get 15% off your tickets today with the code 11FS. What else? All right, let's get on with the show. Uh, next story that we have up is over on US News and World Report. It is that HSB signed a deal to use BlackRock's Aladdin software worldwide. Uh, HSBC have signed a deal to offer BlackRock's Aladdin investment management software to the bank's wealthiest customers. Aladdin 101 for you guys. Aladdin began as an internal tool at BlackRock before becoming the linchpin of chief executive Larry Fink's plan to increase revenues from technology. So I, I think this is just such an amazing story this is one of the biggest companies in this space you know literally what is it 40 percent of the the funds that are under management globally is by these people um and they've created a piece of technology that they use for themselves that they're now distributing to some of the biggest banks on the planet yeah it is and it's, it's not news i remember let me go back 1998 I traveled to the U.S. because I wanted to see the world's first internet bank, Security First Network Bank in Atlanta. And uh, half a year later, or two years later, they had some good traction with customers. They sold the bank to Royal Bank of Canada. They kept the technology and they started telling the technology left, right, and center. Mm-hmm. So we have seen this before. We have seen this in, uh, in banking in more places. We've seen this very successfully. We've seen it less successfully. I find it very interesting. For me, the interesting thing is not so much that they, you know, optimizing their internal investment by selling it to others, because some idiots would say, oh, yeah, but then other people get the same ideas as BlackRock. Well, you know, it's not the technology that decides. So that, that's perfectly fine. What I find interesting is that I've been waiting for a long time for the asset management industry to disrupt. Yeah. And my idea is it should self-disrupt. And um, I come from the Netherlands. We have a massive asset management industry issue. Mm. I imagine way bigger than our country is because we are, you know, pulling over with pension funds, etc. And um, in fact, one of the companies that I'm... Um, a board member of and I is, is Blanco Services, and they said the same thing. They said they should self-disrupt, and Blanco has built a SaaS platform for asset management, and it literally takes base points of the price of the end investment. Mm. And so I am super excited about this, uh, simply because for me it's the start of the roll of the dice that mm. the asset management industry starts to disrupt a bit as well. well there's, there's and an in- self-disruption is always better than being disrupted. Well, there's, there's an interesting trend between the Apple uh, product announcement. You know, uh, we've got Goldman Sachs, one of the biggest balance sheets that there is globally, doing yeah. interesting things, fueling going into a mm. complete yeah. different industry. We've got 
BlackRock partnering up with a, a massive banking organization to, as you say, disrupt and and sort of almost self-disrupt Disney from a technology. Disney going into uh, pay-as-you-go. Exactly. <laughs> There's the third one. So, <laughs> so it's, it's fascinating, isn't it? People kind of moving into spaces that actually, because really like BlackRock make HSBC look like a tiny little company. Well, mm. I was going to say, for those of us who may or may not have worked for entities for whom BlackRock is a massive client, they say jump and you go like, is this high enough? <laughs> um, and that's understandable. And like I hear, um, but there is a, a version of this world where there was not much of a conversation or a negotiation or a, yeah. a opportunity seeking partnership. Um, and, and like jokes apart, having worked in organizations where specifically BlackRock, but also organizations of that size are customers that represent such a big chunk of what you do. Um, they do drive the agenda to a very, very large extent. Mm. So BlackRock has been pushing Aladdin for a very long yeah. time. Yeah. Uh, how good Aladdin is, is irrelevant to this conversation. How big a piece of your revenue chunk and your business stability BlackRock represents is, is the crux of the conversation. So there is, um, there is a version of the story that says HSBC didn't even stop to assess how good is this? It's a case of, a very, very critical customer wants yeah. this, and, and, and it's done. I think. And, and what I find interesting is that this is not some sort of custody system. This system actually does do risk analysis mm. and you know, investment analysis. So it also does away with this ridiculous idea that still lives inside a lot of banks that technology can be your USP on its own, and because it obviously isn't, because otherwise BlackRock wouldn't share it with other banks. Yeah. And it's, it's like today uh, at the city conference letter, we heard um, a lady from city very succinctly say, you know, of course you want the best breed and, and things to be stable. And if you're being operated, you want to, to know for certain that the surgeon has done this a thousand times. Mm. So innovation is good, but stability is also good. Yeah. And immediately I think, yes, but if that's true, but why then do all the banks still want to build their own operating theater? Connie, I think, and I think uh, that's a great point, actually. I think, the thing to remember is all of a sudden, if you take the technology element away, then what's the actual value proposition in terms of BlackRock? So, you know, is it more of a brand proposition as opposed to a technology proposition? To your point before, though, that, that I think the, yeah, the cool thing to actually look at from a BlackRock perspective is de-risking themselves from their core market and actually moving themselves into a technology play and actually creating a brand new revenue stream. Uh, whilst, you know, perfecting their game in terms of their own customers and then actually leveraging that technology out into the market. Well, it, it's amazing, though, how these things can become, uh, as you say, almost infra completely infrastructural for, uh, you know, look at, as you said, WorldPay earlier on. You know, was it £48 billion pounds the sale of it yeah. was? So, um, you know, the future is definitely in B2B technology plays, winky, winky face leader. <laughs> All right. I don't know what you're talking about. We better move on. Um, so next up, we have a story over on Finextra. This is Erica's A Hit with America. Which is another beautiful rhyme, Laura. You're on point today. <laughs> yeah. All right. Bank of America's Erica chatbot wins over customers. So Bank of America says customers are warming to its AI-driven virtual financial assistant, Erica, which has surpassed now 6 million users and completed more than 35 million client requests. So Bank of America rolled this out to millions and millions of customers over the summer. Erica helps users with a host of simple transactions such as money transfers and balance inquiries. So is this chatbots actually being vaguely useful to people or is this just people are lazy and they'll pick the easiest option? I think, I think the, so I guess 
AI has grown in popularity. You know, people are getting used to being able to get instant answers from you know businesses. They they don't want to wait around, uh, you know, to phone into the store itself. And that's a really important point because actually, as a consumer, you know, when am I likely to have the time to actually get on with my my jobs to be done? You know, my jobs to be done. You know, I can oh, tell you right brand. now. Exactly. I thought you'd like that one. Um, yeah, but my my jobs to be done is is typically weeknights and most likely weekends. And actually, I need an easy self service journey. And yeah, you, know, you look at the you know Pareto's law, eighty twenty. You know, for, for really simple solutions, how can you actually serve me up a journey that I can just go find the solution? Especially if you're talking about moderately. I'm not going to say I'm myself technology savvy, but you know, p- p- technology users. Yeah. And yeah. if you can actually help empower them, then great. And then actually for the the higher needs, you know, that's when they'll call into the actual team itself. So my my issue with this though is that I think chatbots are an excuse to do websites badly yeah so you know chat okay. chatbots are, uh, the, the user experience architect in me will be screaming inside to go a nicely laid out navigational structure with a very simple product set in terms of what you're doing it allows people to actually not have to chat to an interface to actually understand these things but just fucking do the thing that See, you need I them like to that. do i was i was gonna go more more simplistic than that which is what well, ai is meant to get smarter with time so the mm. fact that it's smarter with time is not a thing. It's an expectation. Mm. Um, but it's a little bit damned by faint praise because seeing that customers are finally warming to it and uh, a seemingly high number of client requests, undefined type of requests have, have been fulfilled, doesn't necessarily resonate as much as, as it should because that number, if the requests are, where is the contact button, isn't... isn't um, over and over again. Spectacular, yeah. What what would be very interesting is if that uh, number was around transactions. Mm. If people were genuinely a resorting to it, Rand's point, because it allows them to transact whenever and however, um, and we're actually entrusting more complicated activity. But requests is so vague that it could be, to your point, la- lazy website navigation. Um, what it is telling us is that. Hopefully, Erica is getting smarter, and that's part of the deal. And that people are getting more comfortable with using the tools available. I'm actually sorry. No, I'm just thinking. You know, I look at it, and they call it Erica, and I I actually think that one of the problems with robots and the misconceptions around robots is that we're humanizing them, and they're just AI. So I'm against humanizing robots. I have a very interesting just point to to follow on from that, and it's more of a gender (laughs) debate. So we've got oh, Erica. This is going to get fun now. Here we go. ING has Mary. HSBC has Amy. Deutsche Bank has Debbie. Yeah, and clearly we've also got Alexa. Mm. Yeah. Vodafone, I'm just going to put that out there. Vodafone yeah. in Qatar has Honey the Hedgehog. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and you know what? I think they're winning. People then start to confuse what really sort of silly smart technology can do for you and what a human can do for you. At the same time, if it works, who cares? Um, but I think we should accept that in many, many instances, you know, robot technology in a supportive environment is way more relevant than a human who doesn't phone back or can't find an answer or whatever. So, you know, if, if that works, Although, to having be fair, said that, you know, my father-in-law is 90 and he talks to Evie, who's like a robo, and he loves it because he does think, 
you know, she's talking back. So I quite like that. But the reality is, given the constraints and scripts that the vast majority of, of customer assistants use, both for banks and for corporates, you might as well be talking to a robot, right? You're talking to a human like, you know, Rajiv well, exactly. is talking to you so, and Rajiv to is... Point, to my point. Get so, off the script, man. Get <laughs> off the script. Be human, Rajiv. Bring Evie back. Yeah. Yeah. So to the extent that we're all used to having these totally dehumanized conversations with customer service representatives, is it that we're being trained to be more accepting of that wooden language? And actually, it's not Erica that's getting smarter. It's us getting completely... Yeah. yeah. It's us getting completely used to being essentially um, treated in a highly formulaic, standardized fashion, whether we're talking to a human or not. Yeah, and, you know, the, the other side We're is learning how to ask questions clearly. Uh, you know, yeah, you know, we're we'll learning to ask... And accept that computers no answer. Yeah. Well, I, either that or people are just saying the same thing over again. It's yeah. like... And they're capturing what, the actual... What, what's data. my balance? What's my balance? What's my balance? What's my... Ba like, you know, like... Balance. It, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just one point to add on to this, though. If you start, and this is put my, obviously, funding options hat on here, you know, you're seeing uh, bank branches across the country closing at a rate of knots. You're seeing more and more, yeah. whether it's small business owners or whether it's consumers, but relationship managers disappearing. So at some point, we need to balance that out with some of the service. And, and I, yeah, AI-powered chatbots on a distributed ledger, you know, just to throw out every kind of buzzword out there. Well, I'll give you funding right computer. now. Well, there we go. Okay, we'll go out and take this concept to the market. That would be handy if they can find my blockchain code when I've lost it. Well, I mean, yeah, that would live in the or, dream. Or at least give you a little bit of a telling off for losing it. Exactly. exactly. Give me a sassy AI exactly. assistant, I'll I mean, take exactly. it anyway. Exactly, and then it just responds, the dog ate it. Okay, <laughs> thank you. Thanks. All right, <laughs> moving on. So in the week of the original Brexit date, we could not have a Brexit story. And P.S., we love you, <laughs> Europe. We're still there. We haven't left you yet. I'm still hoping that we don't, but let's see what happens. Okay, cry. J.P., Morgan uh, boot out employees in the event of a no deal Brexit. So over on Bloomberg, so this is JP Morgan sent to push 300 employees to leave London after Brexit. So JP Morgan Chase is pushing about 300 London-based investment banking staff to sign fresh contracts confirming that they will leave the UK in the event of a no deal Brexit. So I guess depending on if they're UK citizens or not, they probably aren't up for having that debate. <laughs> they might they have to leave aren't. anyway. Actually, no. as as a bank employee, your contract always allows the bank the option to change your location of work. Mm. Um, so you you sign up to that every time you join a bank. I have signed up to that a, a, a number of times in my life. You you waive so many regulations when you sign up and to a bank contract. And you don't necessarily think about it and you think it's going to be more of a conversation, but contractually, the vast majority of bank employees are, you can always walk, but the bank has the yeah. absolute right to change your Absolutely. location. Similarly, if you go and work in the US, your permit's and linked to the job. Exactly. You know? so, so and also, JP Morgan are the latest, but by no means the only ones in this. No. We know people in every single investment bank um, in the city who have either been already told you're relocating to insert home location yep. in the continent here or you're you're facing um, a slow exit. A lot of the banks have already moved their books to their European locations, yep. which is a massive loss of tax revenue mm. for the for the. Well, I have some fun numbers for you because of the story I dived into what's happening in the Netherlands. Because, of course, on the one hand, we are an incredibly attractive country for people to migrate to because almost everybody speaks English, you know, not as poorly as me, but still, everybody <laughs> can understand them. And um, 
But on the other hand, we're not because we have a gap on banking bonuses, which people hate. So mm. in the in the Netherlands, your bonus can be a maximum 20% of your income. Wow. So that is a downer for investment bankers. Mm. But here's an interesting one. We see that in the Netherlands, they're attracting all of the trading platforms. So mm. uh, Global, Turquoise, um, Jane Street, uh, ValueWeb, and the we spoke to the regulators and we see that bond trading, which is virtually non-persistent, existent in the Netherlands, mm. like a 0% almost of all of the European trades, we're up to 95% now of the bond trades being traded through Amsterdam platforms. Wow. So the bankers, because they like the bonuses, don't necessarily opt for the Netherlands. They'd rather go to Luxembourg, Dublin or Frankfurt. Yeah. France is, of course, language-wise and culture-wise more of a barrier, but we're attracting all the trading people. And all I can say is, you know, forget what happened at Chatham. We love you and come over. <laughs> you see, and this we is, welcome you all very exactly. much in this the is, Netherlands. This I mean, is where I, it starts. I mean, 11FS Amsterdam is like, if Jeff Tyson has his way, is definitely in the agenda, it's isn't not, it? Hey. I'm just going to put out there that William and Mary, the, those the of us who of don't have a, a guaranteed right to live and work here, Thank you, Connie. <laughs> yeah. I have a big house, so housing is also, for the first few months, not an issue. Actually, you'll so, be a very lovely landlord. E- 11 sure. FS, Connie's house. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. Joking aside, this is, for me, this is the bi- biggest risk, right? Um, yeah. Is, as Connie rightly is pointing out, luring us all over to the Netherlands, over to Amsterdam. And we're very, we, we are actually over there, and it's a great place to actually work and do business. Uh, but it's, it's, it's the talented people. It's the brain drain now kind of going back across to Europe. You know, personally speaking, it's getting harder and harder when it comes to finding engineers and, and, and product people. Well, uh, product exactly. Terms. Because already in this period of uncertainty, if they can get a job in either Amsterdam or Germany or London, they say like, yeah, well, but if I look, move everything over to London, will I still be there in six months time? Mm. Yeah. But the, I think the thing right now to latest point, you know, the, the mood music coming out from the city, you know, if you look at uh, the FT that's been constantly reporting you know more and more banks are actually talking about the same thing in terms yeah. of moving operations everybody's having to look at you know mitigate the risks and go you know what do we do in case there is no deal so i i'm yeah it's disappointing to see um you know who can predict what happens next i don't know i just i find all of this so crazy like this it's sadness. so it's just so sad like and how much how many billions of pounds have been spent like planning for a thing that may not happen we hope won't happen yeah. and if it happens will just be so detrimental to london as well, a place. it is and as i said my son was born here mm. and honestly for me as a foreigner my heart bleeds when i see all this and i only can say one thing whatever they're gonna vote on next Everybody over 55 should be barred from voting. Because it's not about their future, it's about their children's. Yeah, Uh, it's, It's radical, but I like it. I mean, I don't rule out Theresa May bringing out anything, quite frankly. It's like... Uh, it's last na- chance saloon yeah. right now. If your name's got an A in it, you can't vote. Or if, like, it's going to be anything. So let, let's see anyway. She would she would fit perfectly well, though, I've discovered in the fintech scenes. Because the bags on her eyes are the, as bad as mine. On <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe there's a future in that for her next. Okay, and finally, we have a story here. And this is Rick 
Astley bankrolls his retirement with crypto. So Rick Astley reveals his secret crypto billionaire status. This is a shocking one. Um, so 80s pop sensation Rick Astley reveals he is a secret crypto billionaire holding um, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and various other coins that I don't know anything about, but I'm sure Simon will do. So insider sources report that his crypto cash is held on a USB stick shaped like a floppy disk which seems reasonably apt for the 80s icon, right? Um, Astley moved his crypto offline when it became clear that those close to him were upset that he wasn't sharing his wealth. Um, and I think this is just a, an amazing thing to see that he's he's done. What do you guys think to this? Like, Rick I mean, Astley. I've been singing Never Gonna Give You Up Could, sort of softly say, to my head all well, day. Just, just for the non-UK's guests on the show, you know, can you just sing me one line just to remind Please me? Please As a child, when I used to sing, my parents said, no, sweetie, draw something. (laughs) You don't don't want this. No, we do remember, never, ever going to give you up. We do. We do. So I I love the the quote in here that he is Mm. the ultimate hodler. He's never going to give it up. No, well, you know, I have a a message. I find it, I find it... um, very interesting and and obviously you know the regulators are all over this and they're yep. gonna sort of want to bring it mainstream so no doubt they're gonna sort of lift up his shirt as we say in holland and have a good look at what's uh, underneath well the regulators and, and the tax man right you know the tax man's gonna want to have a piece the, of this the, the tax man is gonna well i don't know in in the netherlands that just put a value to date in your box and you'll get text on it so but you know what i'm going to take this question back because i'm not sure whether you guys know this but mr mr bitcoin and blockchain in the netherlands is vincent everts and we're going to put it out uh, and, and ask him to see what his reaction would be, what he thinks will happen. We have a conference in June. I think he should ask him to come and speak. I think I'm, he would. I'd be intrigued to ask him, you know, is, is Rick going to be in trouble with the SEC? Yeah. Yeah, he, he's not He's not directly endorsing, but he is actually, uh, in some ways, kind of actually revealing what he's up to. So he's sort of promoting it by revealing the source of his funds, potentially? Potentially, but, um, yeah. Okay. His crypto riches, yeah. Moving on, and we have an and finally part two for you this week. So over on uh, Vice, this is a story that Weatherspoon's app is now being used as a financial dominatrix. Which Can I just is, say I had to read this story three times to figure out that I'm not hallucinating? Amen. So Finn Dommies, financial dominatrices, dominatrices, are using social media to get Finn subs or paying pig, or pay pigs to pay for their drinks via the Weatherspoons app. So in March of 2017, the billion pound pub empire launched its own app to allow drinkers to order directly from their tables. So when uh, it became apparent that you didn't need to be in the pub to use it, it became open for exploitation. So predominantly this was for pranks and surprise birthday drinks, but now this has taken a bit of a different turn. And what do these pay pigs get in return for this apparently absolutely nothing so essentially what we've got is uh ladies and i presume gentlemen i mean we're all inclusive in this this podcast industry Um, but but basically allowing people to flirt online and then be bought drinks i mean weatherspoons has a range of interesting food as well so you could be bought anything through this thing um in the exchange for nothing Essentially, for a second of fame, but I, you know, I see various. First of all, I have to admit, I don't do Weatherspoon, so I have no idea what the experience possibly can be. 
If you're um, not nice to us, we'll take you. <laughs> no, 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 don't take me. I think, I don't, you know, we, we but, can find better places. Uh, Lena, we can find better places. But we, we all know, even when I was young, you know, that it would be nice if a gentleman bought you a drink and then at a certain point you get to a stage where you think, hmm, is this going to be something where there's something... Uh, Let's not go there. Yeah. <laughs> but there's various red flags because if they get the drinks, they don't deliver any services for it. It either yeah. falls under the law of prostitution. If they do something for it, if they don't do anything for it, the fraudsters and thieves. Um, plus, they get benefits in kind and they are taxable. I mean, that's the I thing love that, where you've gone with that, it. I am man. still struggling with how many unknown words I have in the <laughs> description of it. Yeah. Just so much vocabulary I need to absorb there. And also, I, I. But actually, gentlemen saying, like, I only flirted with her online and she stuck me up with a 60 pound bill for drinks. And he was proud of it. And I think. There is, is there no bottom to the sadness of the, social media? There is. I think, well, I, I think the thing is. I'm sure Weatherspoons had no idea when they actually put this out there that this is, of course not, this is, no. this is going to be how it's going to be exploited, right? Um, and I've no doubt that as technology kind of gets interweaved in all of our lives that, you know, we're going to see lots more use cases, perhaps not like this one, but they clearly need to look back into the customer journey and kind of make a, you know, make a change. And, Drastic the, change the, very pa quick. the pause was dramatic there, right? Yeah, I was trying to think which way in, in, in terms of take At that. At the very least, it's a compliment to creativity. Yeah. But it's I an mean, interesting... it's a slight clickbait headline, let's be clear, right? It's an interesting... The, the, there's terminology here that we might need to discuss on a different yeah. show, but there is an interesting question about responsibility. Yeah. Um, is it the Weatherspoons the Weatherspoon group that is responsible for creating fail-safes for this kind of behavior, particularly where alcohol is involved and people are drunk and do yeah. silly things, um, and become pay pigs, <laughs> which is not a thing I was familiar with. But but the interesting question is not the human behavior, because I don't think I'm equipped to, to comment on that. It's the implications of if this is, to Connie's point, fraudulent, illegal, or unlawful, who is actually liable? Is it a degree of responsibility falling with the, the people who provide the platform on which this activity takes yeah. place. And do people self-select this? Do they know their pay pigs? I have so many questions. I don't know, but I mean, to Connie's point before, you know, the, the quote that was actually used sounded like, it sounded as though they were quite, uh, happy in terms of the actual outcome itself. Piglets. I, I, I mean, I mean, I, I love the fact we're all so financial services geeks. We were like, it's just yeah. some girl flirting online, got a boy to buy some drinks and we're like who pays she, the tax yeah, did she sign a financial contract is it yeah, fraudulent? No, 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 no. should the tax man be involved and uh, and actually is there a, an element of uh, of real problems being brewing in here for the fca they say no, you bring that close. out in me david because of the, because of the podcast but it, it and, and but the point is what what i find personally way more serious is you know I have a 24-year-old son and I don't, I do honestly think that pubs and restaurants and places, we all want our kids to have fun, mm. but they really need to worry a little bit about, you know, so, you know, social responsibility when it comes to booze and mm. benefits and giving stuff away. And, yeah. you know, it's just no longer really acceptable that you just, you know, go endlessly deep on that and enjoy it and think it's fun because too many kids drink themselves into a coma. Yeah, I think I think the thing is in terms of, so the UK, the pub is such a part of fabric in terms of our DNA and obviously for our European compadres here. So, you know, you know it fine well. 
The one part which is not necessarily related to this story, but it's the influence of Weatherspoons itself. You know, they quite famously you know, had uh, 500,000 uh, Brexit fueled beer mats that they actually pushed out a couple of years ago. You know, they were very pro in terms of that. And they've got a huge voice to play. So, you know, when they start kind of launching this stuff, you know, that there is a big population. They've got a very big impact influence uh, in terms of the UK. So, you know, they, they need to kind of wield that with care. Is there any official uh, response from Medispoon on this? Is there any f- Has there been response? any official response from Medispoon on this? Well, not not to us, but I know Laura, the uh, producer on it, will give it a good go and see what Weatherspoons can come back with us on this should one. We, should we go down and see if we can actually have a word with them? I mean, after, like, after yeah. this. I know Connie's keen to go check it out. Let's go. I, I'm more interested in seeing you boys interact with the app. Some of the <laughs> real-life anthropological experiment. I mean, it's worth a tenner just to see what happens, isn't it? So, all right. On that note, that wraps up another week's news show. This was news, right? Yeah. yeah, this was news. All right. Thank you very much to all of the guests. Uh, Ryan, where can people learn more about you? Uh, LinkedIn, Ryan Edwards Pritchard. Hit me up. Or Twitter, Ryan underscore EP. Very good. Connie, where can people find out more about you? Oh, LinkedIn. Connie Dorstein, easy name, but there's not that many Connies. You'll find me, Bankify, um, and Twitter, crossing the Rubicon. I mean, I'm, I'm Rubicon Finance. I mean, I registered it 100 years ago, and I thought we're crossing the Rubicon, so I call it <laughs> Rubicon Finance, and now I can't change it. <laughs> find me there, and I'll contact you. Very good. Lida. Um, LinkedIn, Lida Glyptis, or at Lida Glyptis, or at 11FS Foundry. Very good. You can find me on david at 11FS.com. What do you think of this show? I always find it very intriguing to get those emails about what you thought about this show. So let us know on Twitter at Fintech Insiders or drop me an email over on David at 11FS.com. If you did like this show, I mean, like, if you didn't, don't leave a review. Don't be a dick. But if you did like it, leave us a review. We really love watching those ones. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. See you next week.